Don't forget about Dobbins. That's the rallying cry today on Locked on Buckeyes podcast. We have a potential record-setting running back in our midst, and he's been overshadowed fairly because we've been so preoccupied with the hype of a really good quarterback that transferred to Ohio State, an explosive offense as a whole, and a record-setting defense behind a a guy that is not human, a cyborg. I've talked about Chase Young the last couple days. Yesterday, I went over a gazillion reasons why he is on a whole different planet from every other defensive player we've ever seen. So today, we're going to shift the focus back to J.K. Dobbins because I don't know if you realize this, but he is on the verge of setting an Ohio State record. We haven't talked much about it. Nobody has really talked much about it, but I am going to talk about it today. I am Kyle Lamb. This is the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. We are on pretty much all of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us by saying, play the Locked On Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. We are also on the Megaphone web app. Just search for Locked On Buckeyes or visit us on LockedOnPodcasts.com. Of course, you can hear me on my other platform, Unscripted Ohio. Would love for you to continue to follow me there. We've got a lot of great things going on there as well. And I'm on Twitter at KYLAM8. Lock on Buckeyes is sponsored in part by Buckeye Grove. For all the latest news, analysis, opinions, and insight on Ohio State football and basketball, please visit BuckeyeGrove.com. We're also sponsored by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by a Buckeye licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. Also, thanks to support by GoBus, Ohio's rural intercity bus system can bring you back to Columbus for Ohio State sporting events with over 40 stops to locations across the state. That's ridegobus.com or call them 1-888-95-GO-BUS. Quick little note about the program here. Coming up in segment two, I'm going to speak with Ross Fulton of Buckeye Grove. If you haven't been reading his work, please go to Buckeye Grove, pitch in for a monthly subscription, give it a trial, give it even 30 days, and go read his work. Ross does a great job of dissecting Ohio State schematically. He explains what they're doing as far as just lining up the X's and O's, what defense is running, they're running, what plays they're running on offense. It's great stuff. We're going to talk to Ross today about the 4-4 double overhang defense that they played against Wisconsin on Saturday and how Justin Hilliard was successful and Ohio State was successful with him on the field instead of Sean Wade as the third corner and how they were able to take out Wisconsin's run game against that double tight end set. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Ohio State offense, how Justin Fields has progressed. We'll get into a lot of things, I promise. Ross is great as usual. You'll want to hear what he has to say coming up. In the third segment, I'm going to talk for a few minutes about the NCAA announcement regarding NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. They basically came out and said vaguely that they're going to allow players to profit off of their own likeness. What they really said, though, was it's still a ways down the road. But I'll explain that. And what I think will happen, it's just a guess because nobody knows for sure, but 
I'll explain what I think is going to happen in the third segment if you're interested in that. Now, let's talk about the big tease that I had. Everybody and their brother is talking right now about Chase Young. For good reason. Chase Young is the best player in college football right now. He deserves the Heisman. He might not get it, although I am slightly encouraged for humanity because this week the college football national media has done a fantastic job covering this guy and giving him his due respect. I think he's going to be in New York. I said that on the podcast yesterday talking about about Chase's greatness. I think he will make it to New York. Whether he wins or not, we'll have to wait and see. But I think he is going to be there, and I think he's getting his, his proper credit. But he's overshadowing some other guys on this team. Justin Fields is overshadowing some some guys on the team. I've, I've part of the problem because I've been hyping Justin Fields all season, and hey, he deserves it too. He's been really good out there. Ohio State is in this position because they have a quarterback, a dual, a true dual threat quarterback that is above average in many ways. He's got an above average arm, above average accuracy, awareness is awareness is probably the one thing that needs to get better, but it's it's getting better and it's probably still above average even now. But his strength, his elusiveness, his ability to run straight ahead and make plays with his feet. Everything about this guy screams above average. But between Fields and these receivers and Chase Young and how amazing the defense has looked when Ohio State fans really didn't see this coming. P.J. Bell mentioned, so Ohio State it has exceeded the spread in eight games by 178 points. That is insane. That's really, really good. I think the second best team in the country is like 130 points above the spread. So Ohio State has been dominant and they've drastically exceeded any expectations people had for them, including Vegas. PJ Bell mentioned 80% of that, according to preseason expectations, had to do with the, the defense being well above what was regressed in the early season. But this is the long way to get around to saying there are reasons why the focus has been on the defense or Chase Young or Justin Fields. And we've kind of let J.K. Dobbins slip through the cracks. Now, as of this week, BetOnline actually has J.K. Dobbins tied for the sixth best odds to win the Heisman behind number four, Justin Fields, number five, Chase Young. So Dobbins isn't going completely unnoticed. People are recognizing he's having a great season, but I don't think people appreciate just how good Dobbins has been. I'm not sure how many people realize this, but as we sit currently through eight games, right now J.K. Dobbins has 1,110 yards, nine touchdowns, 7.2 yards per carry. He's averaging just under 139 yards a game. More to the point, though, J.K. Dobbins is actually on pace to beat Eddie George out for the single-season rushing record at Ohio State. Did you even know that? I bet some of you didn't. I actually didn't even realize it until a couple of days ago when I was looking through the stats, and I'm like, hmm, Dobbins might be on pace to catch George and uh, Eddie George and Ezekiel Elliott. And I looked it up, and sure enough, he is actually on pace for uh, currently, I should now let me actually preface, let me back up. 
beep, 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 beep. That's my, my truck backing up a little bit. Let me back up and preface it by saying that he is on pace to beat the single-season rushing record if Ohio State makes it to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship. If they play in Indianapolis and play in one bowl game, we're not assuming a win in the college football playoff semifinal right now. If they just play in a single bowl game, regardless of where it is, and they play in the Big Ten Championship game, then Ohio State, or or more specifically, J.K. Dobbins, would be on pace for 1,944 yards, which would be 17 more than Eddie George's 1995 total of 1,927 yards. But it doesn't just stop there. Actually, what's interesting about this is Dobbins is having an incredible season. He's not going to have the touchdown numbers that Eddie had in 95. Eddie had 24 touchdowns. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott had 23 touchdowns in 2015. Keith Byers had 22 touchdowns in 1984. Because of Ohio State's versatility, because of the number of playmakers that they have on this team, Dobbins isn't going to reach those touchdown numbers. He's on pace for about 15 or 16, roughly. So he's not going to get there barring just a huge, uh, monumental finish to the season, which Zeke did have in 2014. It's possible Dobbins could have that kind of finish. But right now, with the balance Ohio State has on offense because of fields in the red zone, his passing, some of the 20, 30, 40-yard passes that they have from midfield, I just don't think Dobbins is going to get the opportunity to catch some of those aforementioned fellows in, in total touchdowns on the ground. But he is having one of the single best seasons of all of the 1,000-yard seasons Ohio State has ever had in history. He's right up there among the best. Carlos Hyde ran for 7.3 yards to carry in 2013. J.K. Dobbins had 7.2 a carry in 2017. He's at 7.2 a carry right now. That's probably going to go up these next two games because I have a feeling in the two to three quarters that he plays against Maryland or Rutgers, I don't see those being four-quarter games. I, I hope I'm not wrong there. But if those games go as expected and he plays two or three quarters, his yards per carry is probably going to be, uh, who knows what, eight, nine, ten yards a carry maybe. Uh, so he's probably going to pad those stats. He's currently averaging just under 139 yards, as I mentioned. The only two guys, actually, that have been high, there's actually three guys, three guys that have rushed for more yards per game. Those are Eddie George in 95. He rushed for 148, but he only averaged 5.9 a carry that season. Keith Byers in 84 ran for 147 a game, rushing for 5.3. And Zeke ran for 140 a game, running for 6.3 in 2015. It should be also mentioned here that we do have a little bit of a, a difference in uh, styles across eras. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, of course, you had a lot more stacked boxes because you didn't have the sophisticated passing games to be able to stretch a defense as much. So it was probably a little bit tougher to run, and the yards per carry numbers were a good yard, yard and a half lower back then than they are now. And also, there is no doubting or disputing that J.K. Dobbins is running behind one of Ohio State's most productive run game run lines that I think they've ever had. But I don't like to use that as an excuse for other guys because what running back has had a great season without a great line? 
I mean, you can be a truly great Hall of Fame t- caliber back, but if you don't have a good line, you're you're probably not going to put up very good stats. So I don't want to discredit Dobbins because he's running behind a good line. But it is worth noting that Dobbins and Master Teague are number one and two in Big Ten Conference play in yards per carry. So it is true that they are running behind a great line. But Dobbins is currently, by a hair, on pace to break the Ohio State single-season rushing record. This guy deserves a lot of credit. He's going for 140 a game, 7.2 a carry. It's really impressive, this guy. And and I've talked about it a little bit in the past. But how he has gone as a freshman to a roller coaster season where he looked great, had that burst, the explosion that we saw, and then it really faded down the stretch of the 2017 season, and we didn't see much of much of any of it last year. I, I still think he was hurt. I have no way of proving it, but I think he was. He wasn't hitting holes. He wasn't accelerating into the second level of the defense. He wasn't breaking tackles, and he wasn't running away from defenses. He's doing all of those things now, and quite truthfully, he is having one of the greatest rushing seasons in Ohio State history. The, t- the touchdown totals, as I mentioned, are not going to show that, and, and people will probably not remember this season as one of the top three or four simply because he doesn't have those lofty touchdown numbers. But at 7.2 yards a carry, averaging 140 yards a game, he's got a chance to go into the record books with potentially over 2,000 yards rushing this year. He's on pace for that right now. If he adds, I'm just going to speculate, let's say he adds 170 and 150, 170, 160 type games against Maryland and Rutgers, that's going to keep him on the pace in those last games against Penn State, Michigan, and Big Ten title, and the college football playoff. Here's the good news. Ohio State has already faced some incredible defenses. As it currently sits, they've faced the number nine rushing defense, Wisconsin, at 2.9 yards per rush. Wisconsin was number one until Ohio State got done with them. Michigan State is number 19 at 3.4. They would be top 10 if Ohio State hadn't got <laughs> did what they did to the Michigan State defense. Cincinnati is 25 at 3.5 yards a carry. Cincinnati would be a top 20 rushing defense if Ohio State hadn't done what they did. And then you've got at 53 and 54, Indiana Northwestern at 4.2 yards a carry. So essentially, Ohio State's, out of their eight opponents so far, five of them are top 50 caliber rush defenses. So J.K. Dobbins right now is averaging 7.2 yards a carry against almost exclusively above-average rush defenses. That's what makes this so impressive. He's having a really, really good season, and people aren't noticing. Some people are noticing, but not as many as you would think, and that's just because he's being overshadowed by his teammates. If Ohio State gets into the playoff, this is an interesting season in that there are not those intimidating rush defenses that you saw in the past not necessarily relating to Ohio State, but it used to be like if you were projecting ahead, if somebody would get into the playoff, there were always a couple of really intimidating defenses that it's like, I don't know if these guys can run against them. But Ohio State has already proven they can play against some of the best run defenses in the country. 
There's still Clemson lurking, but Clemson's run defense isn't as good as it's been in the past. They're they're a borderline top ten run defense, but they're not. I'm not sure that they're any better than Wisconsin necessarily. A few better athletes, but they struggled with the run game against North Carolina. They've had a couple games where they they looked a little iffy. Bama is not stopping the run like they used to. They're number 33 right now in the country in run defense. LSU has some big dudes up front that are there to stop the run, but their linebackers and defensive backs are not as good as they've been in the past. I really think Ohio State can run on anyone. That's not to say they're going to go for 250, 300 yards on everybody they play, but I don't think there's anybody out there that I would expect to shut them down. Penn State right now is statistically the number one run defense in the country now. Of course, it was Wisconsin, and we saw what Ohio State did to Wisconsin. So do I think Penn State is going to have much more success stopping the run? No. I think they can slow them down. I don't think they can stop them. But Ohio State definitely in a really, really good situation. J.K. Dobbins having a record-setting season on pace, potentially, to break the single-season rushing record. I don't think anybody out there has a defense that can fully shut down the Ohio State run game. That's not to say that Ohio State won't trip and fall some some game against somebody, but it's going to take a massive effort and a really big letdown from Ohio State. Coming up next, Ross Fulton. We'll talk about what the Buckeyes have done so far through eight games. Lock on Buckeyes continues to grow as a must-listen. There's room for you to grow your business with us by taking advantage of our competitive sponsorship rates as well as our targeted demographic. Email us, LockedOnBuckeyes at gmail.com to learn more about how the Locked on Buckeyes podcast can benefit you. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor would work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com lock and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash locked for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash locked. I'm joined now by Ross Fulton. He is the analyst for BuckeyeGrove.com. Ross, you saw Ohio State, Wisconsin. Let's just go... Let's go right in reverse here. What what did you see and you know what kind of how how impressed were you by that performance? Uh, you know, it was another very very solid performance. Obviously the weather had uh, quite a bit of impact at the beginning. Um uh, but I mean I think you have to start with the defense and how they completely controlled the game um from start to finish. I mean, I think but for the block punt Wisconsin had little to any chance of ever scoring, and that was mainly because Ohio State, first and foremost, shut down their run game with the four linebackers. 
I, I know. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. I got a lot of defensive questions I want to ask you too. I thought again, this was kind of like the Northwestern game where statistically it wasn't Justin Fields best performance by any stretch of the imagination, especially, you know, the weather had something to do with that too. But I kind of felt like because of the adversity in this game, the weather starting slow, maybe being a little amped up at the beginning, having some overthrows, not getting, you know, not getting his motion down all the way through. I, I felt like Justin Fields putting on the performance he did, be able to stick with it and make the plays when he needed to. Again, I, I think this is another data point where we see Justin Fields, the kind of talent he has and the kind of ability he has. There are also uh, multiple drops, which obviously affect the stat line. But, man, is he, is he really good? I mean, he makes plays. The, the first thing he does is he makes plays on third and long to get Ohio State out of, at a minimum, going three and out. I mean, just he's really good at uh, avoiding rushers or staying upright and keeping his eyes downfield. You know, those couple of throws to Dobbins in particular stand out as just really getting Ohio State out of a big hole. Um, but then also his legs add such a component to the game. You know, once he uh, kept once on bash, uh, which is, you know, inside zone, but to the quarterback with Dobbins on a backside sweep, which is what they used so effectively against Wisconsin, you know, that made Wisconsin sit on him, and then that opened Dobbins up on the outside. Um, and then finally, you can really see his command of the offense, you know, being live, uh, I was at the game, so able to pick up some different things you don't see on TV. And so on one of Dobbins' big stretch runs, Fields actually audible the play to the opposite side away from the um, Wisconsin's overhang defender where Wisconsin had less run support. And as Dobbins was running down the field, you could see Fields fist pumping because he was so pleased that he had successfully changed the play. So obviously that kind of stuff doesn't show up on a scoreboard, but um, makes a huge difference when we're talking about quarterback play. Ross, I think the interesting thing about this team right now, they are so good on third down. They're the best in the country on third downs, and, and we've seen how dominant they've been. And even against Wisconsin, a really good defense, one of the best third down defenses in the country, they were really effective. I kind of feel like part of that is because Ohio State does not need to open the playbook and be as aggressive with running fields and, and running some of the zone read stuff, because they're so good everywhere else, they just haven't needed to do it, and they won't need to do it the next few weeks, you wouldn't think. I feel like it, they could be a lot better. First down is actually one of their weakest spots. They're, they're really good on second, really good on third, but I think they're not running fields as much on first down. I kind of feel like that's why they're getting into these third down situations, but the, also why, because they open the playbook a little bit more on third down and why they're so successful. Do, do you agree with me on that? Yeah, I mean, so I think, again, the third down, I think, goes back to, um, one, Fields' obviously ability to create, and you have two receivers, uh, and Olave and K.J. Hill are both really, really good in the mid-range area, and so help you on third down. And, they, you know, again, what defenses are doing are really opening up those, giving them those mid-range throws, and so they're taking them. Um but, yeah, I mean, I think the, the sort of the slow starts more generally are sort of a function of – I'm going to actually talk about this in my article next week. But a function of teams are really packing in the box. And so I kind of, you know, to use the old cliche of comparing it to a boxing fight, Ohio State's sort of, you know, feeling out these teams in sort of the opening round. 
And then once they sort of see what the team to, to pack the box, what the opposing defense is leaving open, they really start to exploit it. So, you know, Wisconsin was keeping in their three interior defensive linemen. And so in that three, four, they got those three guys inside and two inside linebackers behind them. So they really clogged the inside. So Ohio State just started running outside and, you know, they just, Wisconsin did not have the ability to, to either have bodies in space and, or, you know, it took what the strength of Wisconsin was, which all those guys clogging the inside and made them irrelevant because they had no chance of ever catching JK Dobbins running laterally. I want to be clear on something so we don't deceive our listeners. You're suggesting Ohio State actually makes changes as the games go along and it's actually helping them win games because they're adjusting on the fly? <laughs> so this is always a tricky concept, right? Because I will fully support the concept that halftime adjustments or in-game adjustments are overrated, right? So there's, But there's a difference. So like when you go into a game preparing you come up with what you think is going to work and so i think that uh you know it's more of going it's less like well we're going to throw out everything we did monday through friday preparing it's more of okay we figure out what on our play sheet is working and we really go after that and so obviously yes that is adjusting and like that is what any good play caller and coaching staff should do um but you know they're adjusting with things that are the basic plays in their playbook you know hey, we're going to feature more bash in outside zone as opposed to inside zone or vice versa. We're going to use more of our you know, outside comeback routes. But, yes, I think this staff has been very good of, of adjusting not just at halftime but series to series. And I also imagine, too, it's, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure type situation because if you're a coordinator offensively or defensively, you might have a couple different ideas of what they could do and you're going to go into a game and say, we're going to try this, but if they do this, then we're going to change to this. And, and so that, that probably happens too, right? Yes, I, I agree. Yeah, so, and, you know, some of that too is for an Ohio State, when you're playing everyone who, you know, you're generally a double-digit favorite, they're going to adjust what they do to face you. The one exception is, is a good one is Michigan last year where – Don Brown's like, nope, we're going to play cover one man like we always do, and Ohio State lit it up from the get-go. But usually in these situations, a lot of times you're seeing slightly different looks from the defense and what they've shown on film. And so you kind of have to, to be prepared to adjust for that. And I will say that even compared to the Urban Meyer Ohio State offense, this play calling and playbook is very diverse, particularly in how they attack the edges. And that's just making it really tough for teams to do you know, as I said, what they're trying to do and what they've done to Ohio State in the past, which is really pack the inside tackle box. I really think when you look at the, the I call the kill quarter, Ohio State, it just dominating opponents in the second quarter, second and third quarters especially. I just think when you look at those numbers, I, I know numbers sometimes can be misleading and they don't tell the whole story, but I, I think it just goes to show how good the staff is doing on both sides of the football right now. Uh, making adjustments and, and counteracting what opponents are doing in the first quarter against them. Agreed. And, you know, each of the first quarters, I hate to say that, like, this is a team that's by definition starts slow or, like, that's going to be a problem because, like, they each have sort of their own stories. Like, as it's like being at the game, the rain was really bad in the first quarter, and that certainly affected the play calling. And, like, you know, 
for comparison against Michigan State, there were open receivers that they just missed. I think Fields, to your point about like sort of nerves and overthrowing a couple of receivers, and there was that Ben Victor drop. So I don't think it's like something endemic, but I do think it shows that they have both the diversity and the playbook, and that just because they're so well-rounded, if you take away one thing, they can go to the other, that they have the ability to really, uh, you know, as the game pack weaknesses. Ross, you wrote this week about defensively the 4-4 defense and the double overhang. Justin Hilliard especially being a big part this week against the two tight end sets of Wisconsin. That's a great story in itself because of all the injuries that Justin Hilliard has gone through and the setbacks. It would be great to see him have kind of a storybook finish here down the stretch. But I also think what's interesting is while he may not factor heavily into most of these games, I think with a team like Michigan that's really trying to get back to their power running game and develop an identity in a game like that, I, I, I could see Hilliard being another huge factor. Could. I'm hesitant to say yes, because Michigan's doing it with a lot of spread formations and three wide receivers, and you just, you're really leaving yourself vulnerable in those situations. But it does show the diversity and the versatility, and I'm sure there will be situations by down and distance or situation where they can continue to use Hilliard. Obviously, they went to that against Nebraska, too, and Nebraska pulled up, you know, the old uh, split-eye uh, option look. And so it's an interesting system because while playing a, a, essentially a 4-3 or 4-2-5 over, cover three or cover one, that, that's not, like, unique in itself. But the way they're doing it and sort of the overall structure of it is unique. And so to basically just be able to pull out a nickel corner for a fourth linebacker and – play exactly the same defense but with a vastly different body type and player is it is unique and you know part of it's helped by the fact that you have guys like Pete Warner who affect uh, functions is essentially like a hybrid linebacker safety uh and so he can he gives them a lot of versatility but it's also just the way they design the defense it, it's very um effective against what you see from most college offenses Ross we, I've been talking a lot about this week the greatness of Chase Young and he's getting finally the media attention he deserves starting to actually become, I think a legitimate Heisman contender, at least based on the media attention that he's gotten in the coverage the last few days, it looks like he may actually be in the race. I want to ask you specifically about what they were doing with him. Cause it was interesting aside from the fact that he was just having one of the most dominant games we've ever seen from an Ohio, Ohio state defensive player in the past. They actually stood him up and lined him as a linebacker a few times and, and kind of moved him around a little bit. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on what they're doing with him now and cr- finding creative ways to be able to get him more effective as a pass rusher. Yeah, you know, they're, they're making offenses account for him and, and at all times. And so when you move him around, it forces them to change your schemes or you might cause panic amongst the opposing offensive line. Uh, provide him different rush spots. He's very good both at, 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 with his inside pass rush and outside pass rush, and so you're going to have different opportunities. You know, they also like to bring Sean Wade off the opposite side of the blitzer and drop Chase Young as a, uh, you know, into playing that sort of curl flat zone and cover cover three and on his own blitz. And, like, while that takes away Chase Young rushing on that particular play, you know the offense is likely sliding their protection to him, so now you've had them slide their protection, he drops out and you're blitzing from the opposite side. So he just gives, he just forces an offense to, to 
based essentially their entire game plan around dealing with them. It's kind of funny you mentioned that, Ross, because actually there in the late third quarter, one of the thoughts I had seeing him drop into that zone, one of those particular plays, I'm like, how long until we see him get like a pick six or something? Yeah, I mean, he's long, and, you know, you're obviously a, a quarterback's initial thought is to throw to that area. You know, I, it's interesting. I mean, that concept that they're using, um, you know, puts Pete Warner as the middle of the field deep safety. So it's it's sort of, on the one hand, asking for it. On the other hand, you're you're pretty safe in a, in a true three deep, four under zone. And, you know, obviously you're blitzing, so you're, you're counting on that to get there and, and, you know, make the tackle. I want to ask you a big picture question here to wrap wrap up. I saw PJ Hill, or uh, I'm sorry, PJ Bell. Uh, he is a Vegas handicapper for those that don't know, and he he you know basically does spreads for a living. And he mentioned Ohio State plus 178 again over the spread so far in eight games, which is just uh, for people that follow betting that is astounding. 178 points over what the spread thought that it would be this year. He said like 80 percent of that is based on what the defense was to this point, what the expectations were for the Ohio State defense coming in. I just want to ask you, Ross, like, where does this defense stand and and all the Ohio State teams you watch? Because I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, I think this might be, I know this is crazy to say with how many great defenses there have been, this might be the best Ohio State defense I've seen. It's pretty good. I mean, it's hard to, you start with Young, and then you add in the corners and and Jordan Fuller, and then the versatility of Warner and Wade, it's pretty darn good. Now, granted, I would not say that they have played, you know, any sort of offensive juggernaut, right. um, you know, which comes by far the best. But they, man, I mean, just even the even putting aside the scheme <clears throat> or the talent, I mean, the way they tackled Jonathan Taylor, I mean, that guy has made he makes people miss, runs through tackles, and they had corners bringing him down. So the fundamentals are, have been outstanding. It is, in some ways, as I said, a pretty simplistic, straightforward scheme. You know you're getting a single high safety, but on the other hand, it's pretty versatile, and it's just really hard, especially when teams have to get the ball out because Chase Young's coming after them. It's been something else. Sometimes simplicity works, and, and just getting back to basics, and that's what they're, they're doing. They're just They're not doing anything fancy. They're just tackling they're beating people up at the line of scrimmage. They're defending in the secondary. They're just doing everything well right now. Yep, and you know, it, 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 it's not fancy, but it kind of is because they're sort of, on the other hand, ahead of the curve with having Sean Wade essentially playing as a third corner and the way they mix and match cover one and cover three keeps people off balance. So they haven't, it's not like they're being so simple that you know precisely what you're going to get and they have the players that fill the roles well, and so it just is all meshing together. He is Ross Fulton. You can catch him on Twitter, at Ross R. Fulton. Read his work on BuckeyeGrove.com. He provides great analysis of what Ohio State is doing as far as scheme and execution. Ross, I appreciate it, and as much as we can preview the Maryland game next week, we'll, we'll try to touch base and, and look ahead to the Terrapins. All right, sounds good. Thanks. So if you would like to permit me... In this final segment, I am going to explain what I think will happen with this NCAA announcement, suggesting that athletes are going to be able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. This announcement that occurred on Tuesday really wasn't 
much of an announcement. All it was is an alert telling the world that they intend to go forward in allowing athletes to profit off of their likeness. It's still got a long way to go in the process. Probably another nine months, maybe even 12 months. Before it even is finalized, it's going to take a couple years before it takes effect. This announcement on Tuesday was just the working group, which includes Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith, coming to a consensus after discussing it with the NCAA Board of Directors, which includes Ohio State President Michael Drake. I know that mere mention of Drake makes some of you want to crawl out of your skin as if you had a bad case of Tourette's syndrome and just start shouting obscenities to the world. But please, let's keep on track here. Let's see the big picture. We're going to try to move forward without you getting distracted by that mention. But anyhow, this was the working group basically being done with their business. They discussed it with the board of directors. They're going to continue to shape how this is going to look. They identified like eight to 10 bullet points of principles that they would like to follow in how the legislation is created going forward. Some of these things make sense. Like they don't want a recruiting advantage. They don't want schools to pitch this as a way of being able to land a high profile recruit because somehow they're going to offer more money than another campus would. Those are definitely reasonable principles and guidelines. What I think will happen here, and again, this still has to go through several steps of the process. Legislation has not even been introduced yet, so we don't know how this is going to really look. The devil is always in the details. But from my best guess, what I think will happen is the NCAA, and it's funny because I've been actually shouting this idea from the rooftops for about 10 years and I've actually seen in official circles this mentioned, so I don't know that I had anything to do with it, but it is funny that they are going to potentially go down the road of using my idea. I think you're going to see a clearinghouse set by the NCAA that will regulate the market. So this won't be a true, open, free market. It'll be a regulated market where the clearinghouse will have two main objectives. It will first serve as a mediator for all of athletes, setting the rates for every type of endorsement that they may get. That's going to include marketing rights, sponsorship, uh, commercials, autograph signings. So let's say you are Joe Quarterback at a university and you want to have an autograph signing. The NCAA will control the rates, say, you can get paid $50 for an autograph signing regardless of whether you are the quarterback in Columbus, Ohio at Ohio State, or if you're the point guard in Lexington, Kentucky at the University of Kentucky, or maybe you're the backup left tackle in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It doesn't matter who you are, what position you play, what sport you play. There would be a same rate per hour, per appearance, whatever. I think they're going to control the rates. Some ways say, well, you know, the, you know, the, the quarterback at Ohio State is still going to have an advantage. That's true. You, you're not, this is not a perfect system we're working with. But if you allow, if you cap the maximum and how many times you can appear with a certain provider, a certain company, it's going to allow 
to keep it's going to prohibit from any one school having too big of a built-in advantage. The Ohio States of the world for football already have an advantage. The Kentuckys of the world for basketball already have an advantage. This is not going to change recruiting any. If you go through and look at recruiting rankings, they're already lopsided. It's not, it's not going to change much. But this clearinghouse, as I mentioned, I think will be a two-pronged thing. It's going to control the rates, I think. I think that's what will happen. And then the other part of it is I think it will also monitor and manage the businesses that are involved with the athletes. By being above board and making sure all the companies provide the proper tax documents, they're going to make sure that the companies are registered in a state as an LLC corporation or proprietorship. And they're going to have to provide the employee ID, employer ID with the IRS and make sure that that tax documents are submitted so that everything is above board. Of course, all of these endorsements will be taxable. The athletes will be responsible for paying those taxes, of course. But it also will keep from shady people being involved. Joe Booster, down south, if he wants to pay $500 for, quote-unquote, an autograph signing, and I'm using air quotes when I say that, this will not let him. The reason being is because boosters will not be allowed to participate in endorsements or payments to athletes. And I know many people have said on Twitter, well, there are loopholes for that. They can just use their business, legitimate business. No, they can't. You, If you are a booster and you are involved as a proprietor or shareholder in a business, you will not be allowed to use that business to make payments. A booster is basically anyone that has donated to a booster club, been ruled a booster as part of the booster club, become a season ticket holder, etc. If you're a booster of that university and you are a proprietor, you can't use your business to make legal payments even as an endorsing company. So I think the NCAA will use this clearinghouse to regulate both sides of this, act as the mediator and the agent of sorts for the athlete, but also monitor the companies that are involved in making these payments to athletes. That's how I think it will work. This is not a salary thing. Players are not going to get paid, not by the university. They will not be making money as a pay-to-play scheme. It will simply be endorsements. They will allow to profit off of their likeness. So that means if EA Sports comes back, the names and numbers and, and likenesses of these athletes could be used to where the NCAA and the schools make money, but the players will also receive a percentage of the profits. That's how I visualize this. A lot is going to happen between now and the next few years whenever this goes into effect. So we don't know what the details will be, but that's just what I imagine it looking like. We'll discuss it more, obviously, in the future, but that just gives you, I think, a glimpse of how this could work going forward. This is the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. Please check me out at Twitter, at KYLAM8. Check the Locked On Buckeyes Twitter, at Locked On Buckeyes Singular. Please tell all your friends about us. You can still listen to me here on Locked On Buckeyes five days a week. We're on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Tell your smart speakers to 
play Locked on Buckeyes or find us on LockedOnPodcast.com. Also, you can hear me on my own network on Unscripted Ohio. You know where to follow me if you, you already don't. I'm on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc. That's going to do it for me. I'll be back on Thursday. Have a great evening, everybody.